It was a scene from long ago, slaves chained to one another, shackles on their feet. They were being pulled along in a slow shuffle to the market square for the day of auction. By the looks of them, they'd been living in squalor. Their clothing was nothing but filthy rags. Still, the slave master called out, what will you give me for this slave? Pulling one of the slaves to the front, a crowd gathered, had gathered and everyone was staring as the caller continued, pointing out the slave's various features and strengths. His weaknesses were clearly visible to all who gawked. A slave was something to be bought and paid for by the highest bidder. It mattered not to the slave master what they intended to do with the slave, as long as the payment was laid in the palm of his hand. As for the slave, he was hesitant to look around, humbled by his appearance and circumstance. But there was one in the crowd who captured his eye, and the slave was surprised by the deep compassion that returned his gaze. Or was it pity? No, there seemed to be something more. An inaudible exchange took place between the slave and the man as they locked eyes. As they looked at one another, questions, an inkling of hope, and a myriad of other emotions began turning over in the slave's mind. And then he heard the softness in the man's strong voice as he spoke up and said, I'll redeem him. All eyes turned to see who spoke. It was a higher price than anyone else was willing or even able to pay. The other buyers thought him crazy to pay such a high price for such a pathetic slave. The slave master, thinking he was the ultimate winner, he spoke, he quickly yelled, sold, and the slave was purchased, bought for an extravagant price by the man with compassion in his eyes. As the buyer moved, forward to take his ownership of the slave, he spoke words that shocked the crowd even further, for they heard him say, you have been redeemed so I can set you free. And that's essentially what happened to each one of us on the day that we saved, on the day that we accepted by faith the salvation that Christ offered. We were bought and we were redeemed because Christ redeemed us. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, 6. In New American Standard, it says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And though speaking of Israel becoming something that they were not intended to become, um, like one who was unclean, it applies to all of us as well. For our righteous deeds, the things that we think are good deeds, are probably uh, nothing except, or they provide nothing to us except for a filthy garment. The terminology used here is pretty explicit in God's word. And it means to conform to a standard that doesn't produce. 
So when he talks about this filthy rag, it's describing the rag that a woman used during her monthly cycle when the seed did not produce a child. And that's what God's word compares our righteous deeds to. Not only is it filthy, but it's something that did not produce what it was supposed to produce. And so those are the, that's what our own righteousness does. But when Christ, who had no sin nature, came forward to pay the redemption price, it cost him his perfect and righteous life. As a result, you and I can be redeemed and set free. Turn to John chapter 8, verse 34. John chapter 8. with the true God. 
And those things were done when we did not know God. And, I mean, just stop and think about this for a minute. We can know God. That's more than every time I think about it because he's God. <laughs> and we are not. And because of who he is, we have a compassionate and merciful God. And he wants a intimate relationship with each one of us. So we can know him. He has given us his word so that we can know his mind and know his thoughts and know his plans for us. And then think about this. Man-made gods could never measure up to the one true God. For they do not even have the right nature. They do not have the right character. How can they when they're made by us? <laughs> How can the undivine create divine? It doesn't work that way. You know, they think back to Israel and they... You know, threw all their jewelry in this big old pot to make a big calf that they could worship. They're making their own God to worship. Now, we probably wouldn't take our jewelry and throw it in a big pot to make our own God. But as I said, we have our own things that we make a God in front of us to worship God. What we watch, what we do, how we spend our time. Even though we know that these man-made gods can't compare to walking with the Lord God Almighty, we find ourselves returning to the old self, and we find ourselves willingly submitting as slaves to those which by their nature are no, are no God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. None of these things are his standard. 
has forced them on you. And then in verse 11, we were those things, but now in Christ we've been washed, we've been sanctified and justified. He's made us new and set us free from that old master. Um, and he, he does that because he loves us and he cares for us. And he empowers us to not be those things anymore. That old master, he had never had our best interests at heart. He is out for our destruction. But our new master shows us a better way. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. Back to the back of your Bible. 1 John chapter 1. chapter 1 is just amazing um, clarity on how to walk with the Lord. But I want you to listen to what it says about our sinful condition. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. These verses here in 1 John are not relating to salvation. They're relating to our fellowship. And you might remember back in October, we talked about the two spheres that we dwell in. We are a dot um, encompassed by the sphere of Christ. And in that, we have fellowship with his spirit. Remember, the, the sphere of Christ was completely circular. There was no opening in it. But they diagrammed the fellowship one with a line coming in and out of it, showing that we could be in fellowship or we could be out of fellowship. And the difference between those two was that we would always belong to Christ, but we could be out of the control of the Holy Spirit or in the control of the Holy Spirit. And that happened when we would sin. Just because we sin after we're a Christian doesn't mean that we leave Christ. We've been sealed there by the Holy Spirit. We are secure in our faith in him. But giving control to the Holy Spirit is a choice of whether we will submit to his authority or we will try to do it under our own strength and power. We are either carnal or we are in fellowship. And those are really important to remember because you can then see as you are confessing your sin to him, this is a pattern in my life. I keep saying the same sin. Because the word there to confess in verse 9 means to name it, to admit that what you have done is wrong, sin, in God's eyes, and to name it. And the reason God wants you to name it is not because he doesn't know about it, but he wants you to see the pattern in your life, of where you keep stepping out of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and where you keep taking the reins back for yourself. And he wants you to know 
how to stop doing that same thing over and over again, that sin that so easily besets you. He wants you to let it go and get over what he has freed you from because you do not ever have to be a slave to that sin again. Amen. We are redeemed in Christ. So, we are to be walking in the likeness. And remember, John explains that the light and dark cannot walk together. If there's light, there won't be darkness. If there's darkness, there's no light. So we are to walk in the light as children of the light. And note again what Jesus did for us in verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he in himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So we have that blessing that he cleanses us, setting us free from that sin nature and the false gods that we were following. And laid on the cross, it was the most tremendous act of compassion that we could ever realize. Because the fact is it took a free man to purchase a slave. And Jesus was the only free man that could purchase us slaves. It was his agony and his physical pain that paid that price for us. But it went beyond that. It went beyond the beating and the pain to taking on every single sin of every person in this world. And I am convinced that it is the darkest most evil place that any of us could even think about that he had to travel just to praise him for doing that because we would still be a slave in slavery to sin. The victory for us is in our sin is now imputed to Christ. So all of that sin, when we accept by faith what Christ did for us, all of that sin was put on to him. Let's fill in the blanks in your lesson guide for Galatians 5 1. And of course, I'm filling this in for the New American Standard. That's what I use. Um, but it reads it was for freedom that Christ set us free. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, because he set us free, therefore keep standing firm. Keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. This verse here in Galatians 1, 5, 1 gives us both a reason and a principle. You see, the Galatians were trying to add the Hebrew law to their relationship with God. They had accepted Christ by faith, but they thought, well, if it's the Israelites' God, then we better start acting like the Israelites, and we better start following the law as they were following the law, placing themselves under a yoke of slavery. They missed the point that the law was never meant to save. 
in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, with always faith in what God was doing that saved a person. Living according to the law pointed out their need for a Savior. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the coming Messiah that would save them from their sins. In the New Testament, we look back at our Messiah and see what he did for us in our, in our face of sin. So the law, it says in Galatians 3.24, says, therefore the law has become a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. It all comes back to our faith. It was sin that separated us from God. And we do well to remember that religiosity, that um, self-righteousness, that trying to work out good, what we consider good deeds, is never going to span that gap between our righteousness and God's. The only thing that could span that gap is Jesus Christ, for he was a free man, and he alone could set us free. Matthew 11, 28 through 30 reads, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. No wonder that his yoke is so easy and light because he's doing the carrying of it for us. We can't carry his yoke. Could you imagine trying to do what Jesus did? To take on everyone. I can't even carry the burden of my own sins, let alone the burden of all of your sins, too. <laughs> but Jesus did that for us. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. A redemption that was so costly to the one who did that. The law not only pointed out our sinful nature, but also God was specific about how that re re um, redemption should come. If you remember back in the Old Testament, there was redemption shown throughout the law. And especially in Leviticus number and chapter 25 through 27 in there specifically, it deals with some of the redemption prices that they had to pay. They had to pay redemptions for everything from the firstborn. A firstborn donkey required a lamb being given as a redemption price for a donkey. Um, they had a redemption for their um, own firstborn children. They had redemption for those who had committed a, a murder. Um, they had to avenge the death with a redemption price. They had redemption prices for just about everything that you could think of. And then God himself is seen as the Redeemer of Israel. And how many times did we see him go in and rescue them saving them once again, redeeming them out of the bondage they were, that they were under by whatever government it was that had overthrown them, whether it was Egypt or 
Rome or whoever it was, God would go in and redeem his own people. And he's going to do that again. Um, if you look at the book of Revelation, he's going to be redeeming those Israelites again during the millennial reign and during the tribulation period. And it's pretty exciting to look at all of that as well. But the law not only pointed out our sinful nature, but that there, there was a redemption process set up so that when God brought the Redeemer um, to us in the New Testament, we would recognize what was happening, the transaction that was taking place. And it's interesting, I was telling Natalie the other day as I was studying this, that the title Redeemer, Jesus is never called that in the New Testament. It talks about the redemption that he did, that he paid, but it never calls him the Redeemer. But we do, um, because we know what the price that he paid did for us. He redeemed us. And so that redemption was just a, a ransom that was paid for this, and, and or to pay off the debt that was owed. If you had a, a family member that was in debt, they sold themselves into slavery to pay their debt. You could buy them out of debt as long as you weren't in debt to someone. You had to be a free man. And so you could buy out, you could redeem out your, your, your uh, relative. Um, we have the story of Ruth and Boaz. Such a love story, right? Um, but in reality, Boaz was redeeming Naomi. Remember, Naomi was the Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth came under the household of Naomi as her daughter-in-law. And when they came back to Jerusalem, and Boaz was going to redeem the, the property of Naomi, it included Ruth. But we think of uh, Ruth as being the one that was redeemed. She was inadvertently with the whole property of Naomi. But it was Naomi's property that was redeemed, and that included Ruth the Moabite. So there was this redemption process that was set up, and a kinsman redeemer could buy back someone's property in their household until the year of Jubilee when it all went back to the original owners. Um, what if we still had that going in these days? Year of Jubilee, everything returned back to its original owner? That would be a kick, wouldn't it? I don't know. I didn't know we had the property 50 years ago. <laughs> but, and I don't know what property my family might have owned. Anyway, we have a Redeemer that has paid that price for us. But 1 Timothy 2, 5-6 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Well, then, what was the proper time? Galatians 4, 4-7 gives us this answer. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that he might receive the adoption as sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Those under the law were made aware of their inadequacy of the law. We all know we sin. Um, and it's very much pointed out that they needed a savior since they were trying to earn the favor, trying to obtain a form of righteousness by their own behavior. And that's what this, the Galatians were trying to do. They were trying to build themselves up to be worthy to serve God. When in fact, God just gave us on our knees because we are unworthy apart from Jesus Christ. But he came to redeem us. And as I said, we find ourselves willingly submitting as slaves to those that, by which there are no gods. And the truth is that when the Spirit makes us a new creature, sin no longer has authority over us. Amen. When we sin, it's because we have allowed yes. that authority to yes. take its position again. Yes. So Jesus paid for our sin on the cross, and, and that was once for all. And since that time, Sin only happens as we allow it to happen by what James in chapter 1 talks about. We follow after the lust of our own hearts. And, you know, we don't need Satan to tempt us. We're pretty good at allowing our own flesh to tempt us. It's our own desires that get in our way. So then the question is, can we bring perfect this side of heaven? If we have the potential, which we actually do have the potential, because of what Christ did in redeeming us, we have the potential to live a sinless life. We don't need that. Because that would require being in, the, in fellowship with the Holy Spirit 100% of the time. And we are just creatures of habit. And we have a hard time giving up self. <laughs> and so we don't. We, we're all back out all the time. Sometimes we jump out. Sometimes we go, I want that. I don't want that. I'm going over here. Um, sometimes we just slither out. No one will notice. I'm just going over here to my own little pity party. I'm just going to do this over here. No one's going to see. No one's going to know. But either way, we have to be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit 100% of the time in order to fulfill the righteousness of Christ. And we can only do that minute-by-minute minute decisions that we choose to submit to his authority. But here's the cool thing about this. See this sphere right here? This little dot of you in Christ as this diagram? That means that to God, we're in Christ. When he looks at us, he sees us sinless. He doesn't see us, well, he sees us, but he doesn't, he doesn't attribute or put the weight of what we owe for the sin on us. He put it on Christ who redeemed us. So while he sees us as, yes, there she goes again, she's, <laughs> she's off, you're what she's not supposed to be doing. He sees that. But he sees it paid for by the blood of Christ because we have been redeemed by Christ. So Christ's righteousness was given to us 
but we need to walk in fellowship with him because positionally we are free from sin's power. But in our human experience, we have to take what we have and retrain it to follow only him. And we've talked about this thought process before of making sure that what we're doing is in alignment with his will. And we can only do that under the control of the Holy Spirit. So in Romans 12, um, 1 and 2, where it talks about being transformed by the renewing of our mind, he's talking about taking this physical, sinful self and transforming it by renewing our thought process. Because what we believe should affect our actions. And if we're acting out what we believe, I don't know about you, but for me, I've got some beliefs I need to twerk because <laughs> I'm not always living the way I should be living. I'm not always doing what I should be doing. I'm not always saying what I should be saying. I'm not always, you know, watching what I should be watching. There's all those things that we need to tweak because our process, our mind process is so ingrained. They, the Bible describes them as ruts in a road. And we have driven that road so many times. We know about that here on island, don't we? We have driven that road so many times that this rut has just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper. But let's say we take the mind of Christ and we start replacing those thoughts that we have and that mindset that we have with what his word says. Then when we are living it out, we're going to be making a new rut. We're going to be going on a new trail. He will make our path straight. He will lead us in the way we need to go. And those new tracks will get made in our brain so that it becomes reflexive action to do the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing. But we have to be taking in the word, processing it, believing it, changing our belief system to going, that's not true, this is, and I'm going to go on this trail instead of that trail. And the more we do that, the further we get away from that other road. And the more we're in his word, the more black and white things become. Where we see, oh, that's not a gray area. That is sin. And I need to just step away from it. And um, God has done that so many times in my life where, you know, I'm watching a series on TV. And it's like, I'm enjoying it. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, hmm. I should be enjoying this. <laughs> and then pretty soon it's like, no, you shouldn't even be watching this, let alone enjoying it. And so then you just turn it off. Yeah. And you move on. Yeah. And you know what? It's like, that wasn't hard to do at all. I don't even miss that because that was just disgusting. Why was I even watching it in the first place? But it's because we don't think the way God thinks. And we have to retrain our thoughts to think as he thinks. When we do that, we can be transformed. Hebrews 12, 2 says, The truth of this new birth is that we have positionally been placed into a sinless position in Christ. And experientially, we have to, the potential to walk holy and blameless because he has made us holy and blameless. We continue to step outside the control of the spirit by our flesh, slipping into that well-worn yoke of our old sinful nature, and we become carnal, letting our fleshly desires outweigh our spiritual life. 
pleasing the senses rather than having good sense. Um, we submit to nonsense rather than God sense. So that's, those are things that we have to be aware of. Are we going to do God sense or nonsense? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And some of you probably know this by heart. I used to say it to my children all the time. They probably got tired of me saying it. But it reads, No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. There's nothing new under the sun. Sin nature is common to every man, and woman, and boy, and girl, and baby. Their first words are no. <laughs> or me do it myself. <laughs>
work, shuffled up onto the stage, all of our strengths and weaknesses for all to see, that we were purchased in the slave market. The second word is mutrospatai, and it means to pay the ransom. And he did that, it 
so that we would be zealous for good deeds, that we would be his own people. He gave himself as our redemption, redeeming us from everything that didn't fit within the righteousness of God. He did it to purify us and make us his own and to enable us to do truly good deeds. Because remember, good deeds are only those deeds that God prepared for us before the foundations of the world to walk in, as it talks about in Ephesians 2.10. Christ is our standard. That is the righteousness we are to measure to. And the only way we can do that is because we have been redeemed. As 1 Peter 1, 17-18 says, If you address the, as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourself in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. On the day of your salvation, your chains were broken. You were brought with the price of the precious blood of the Lamb of God. And the result is that you are no longer a slave to sin. You've been given a new choice, and it's a minute-by-minute -minute decision. He's blessed you with his spirit to empower you to make all those right decisions. And it's all because in Christ, we have been redeemed. He created a plan, designed a plan that would bring us into relationship with him. That relationship was bought through a ransom being paid. And it was a ransom that we have to then accept by faith. Do we believe it? Do we believe we've been freed from that sin that so easily entangles us? If we do, then our lives should show the difference. And we need to start walking under the control of the Holy Spirit. We need to retrain our mind to think as Christ thinks. And we need to then be praising God daily and thanking Him for what He did for us. Father, I just thank you so much for the fact that you sent every redeemer. I praise you that we do not have to do this on our own. We don't have to earn anything. You know, you don't have to try to earn it, Lord, because it's impossible to earn it. So, Father, I just praise you that you sent Christ to redeem us and pay the ransom for our freedom from that yoke of slavery of sin. Help us to walk in newness of life the way that you intended for us to walk. A productive life, Lord, that it would be according to the righteous plan that you created for each one of us and that we would be sensitive to what you want us to do in the future. Help us to not ever forget the cost of what our Redeemer did for us. And just give you praise and glory in his name. Amen. Amen.